Opinions expressed on Mountain Talk do not necessarily reflect those of WMMT, Apple Shop Incorporated, or the station's funders. Welcome to this edition of Mountain Talk Monday. I'm your host, Kelly Haywood, and we are here in Studio C with Matthew Druin and Jenny Williams talking about the Upper Cumberland River Watershed Watch and the Big Dip Redux. So we're talking water, water testing, and collaboration with many community partners. So let's just get started by explaining what the Big Dip is. The Big Dip first took place 10 years ago in 2006, and 1,660 sites around eastern Kentucky were tested for stream quality. This was a partnership between Headwaters, Inc., based here in Letcher County, Eastern Kentucky University, and some other partners as well. And those sites were tested to monitor how clean the water was, how healthy the water sheds are, and how healthy those streams are. So now, 10 years later, it's time for us to look at that again and to see if anything has changed. Uh, you know, there's a lot less mining in the area. There have been a lot of changes, changes in population patterns. And so we won't be able to test all of those 1,660 sites, I'm afraid. But we hope to test as many of them as we can through a partnership with our communities in all over Eastern Kentucky, with Hazard Community and Technical College, with Southeast Community and Technical College, Eastern Kentucky University, the University of Kentucky, Pathfinders of Perry County, and Headwaters of Letcher County, and any more partners that we can draw into this. Um, we're really happy to partner with everyone because what we want to do is use volunteers through students in our classes with service learning and through community volunteers and with AmeriCorps workers because this is a 9-11 day of service event. So 9-11 is a national day of service and we'll be using the Big Dip Redux. This is the second time around, so it's the Big Dip Redux to, um, as a 9-11 day of service. And so we'll send community volunteers out to test as many of those original sites as we can. We're working with Dr. Alice Jones at Eastern Kentucky University. She has a student who's using some GIS mapping skills to create some different algorithms so that we can most effectively test the most amount of sites that will make sense geographically and to give us a pretty good distribution across the region of the sites that were tested before. So we're really excited about this partnership and about the possibility of using our classes and showing students that science and writing and math and biology, that th these things really matter, that they have an impact. They're not just things that we do in the classroom for no particular reason, but that we can use those to look at issues in our community and disseminate that information and make changes, we hope. Let's just take a moment to talk about what is a watershed? That's a word that's given a whole lot, and maybe that's not the common language for it. So what is it? A watershed is a geographical region in which rain flows into a common area. So we are in the Upper Cumberland River watershed. All the rain that falls in our geographical area makes its way eventually into the Cumberland River. But that's what a watershed is. It's basically a geographical region into which all rainwaters collect and we get these headwaters and small streams and small rivers and they all combine and so they are a an area in which we are interested in especially here because of the previous mining and we are at the very beginnings of the Cumberland River as a whole and so 
to monitor stream health in this region is a real key aspect of the overall Kentucky watershed watch. And I might say that Dr. Alice Jones has informed me that Kentucky has the largest amount of waterways in the United States, uh, second only to Alaska. And so monitoring our waterways for health is key to environmental health, tourism, attracting industry, and education. So that's one of the key aspects of the Upper Cumberland River Watershed Watch is to produce data, and Big Redux, is to produce data that can be used across curricula. So English students, poetry, playwrights, scientists, statisticians, biologists, that's the goal here is to get the community involved with real data about the place that they live so that they can learn the fundamentals of the educational goals of their class, but at the same time have a real stake in understanding the environment in which we all live. Two things came up for me in hearing that. One, we are well aware of the impact that mining has on watershed. That's been an issue for a very long time. But another issue that we've had and that we've worked really hard on is straight popping. So straight popping sewage into our streams. That doesn't necessarily affect a watershed so much as it does on down the line, right? Yes, it does. Everything. That's the thing about watersheds. Everything affects a watershed. What falls from the sky, what you throw out of your car window, what drains off the road, what comes off the hills. Everything affects a watershed. You know, Matt really summed it up nicely. And there are, you know, a number of sociologists and geographers and other people who really think that we're defined by our watersheds, right? When you ask people that, they'll say, oh, my family's from up Cutchin Creek or we're from down on Lost Creek. And so we really define ourselves culturally by our watersheds very often, right? We really think about that. There's almost completely off topic, but I'll throw it in anyway. I have this cookbook that I really love called Sweet, Sour, Salty, Bitter. And it's, um, I think that's what it's called, but it's, it's, it's about Asian food. And instead of looking at those countries by country, right, these two authors, went down the Mekong River Delta because they said that really the cuisine was really defined by the watersheds, not by any sort of artificial country um, divisions. And the same thing here, right? We're really often defined by our watersheds and not by these kind of artificial county distinctions or city distinctions. And so watersheds are very cultural for us. We really identify with our water. Like Matt said, we have so much water everywhere. And it's also really important in almost every way, you know, having being able to have access to clean water is a basic human right, and we don't have it. I mean, we don't have, we can't twist our tap or go out to our well or out to a stream and be assured of having safe water. And we maybe can look the other way because it's really easy, right, to go to Walmart and buy a case of bottled water or to have, you know, somebody deliver big jugs to your house. It's really easy to not think about that if you have the resources to purchase your water But it becomes less easy to ignore that if you don't have those resources, if you're living in poverty, or if you're looking to attract any kind of industry or business into this region. If we don't have a good clean water supply and we don't have an ample water supply, businesses aren't gonna wanna come here. That's an important infrastructure. And this is a global issue. Clean water, many people think, is the global issue, the issue that we're really gonna be most challenged with. It's affected by everything and it affects everything. And so it's really important for us to realize that. I would add that to Jenny's message there that it is truly a global issue. You might be surprised to learn that many 
corporations are trying to privatize water such that in the future they want you to be able to subscribe to a certain amount of water as you would a smartphone or the internet to be able to have clean water if you go over the amount of usage. So they want to really privatize it. So that is a movement globally. And I will just reiterate what Jenny said, that clean water is a fundamental human right. And we all know what's going on in Flint, Michigan. That's been a story for a couple of years now. And we see how our leaders tend not to care about those that they lead, our uh, citizens. And since Southeast Kentucky is one of the most economically distressed regions in America, we tend to get overlooked by the national media in terms of our clean water. But I can tell you that my students will not drink the municipal water. So that's slightly separate from understanding the watershed. But of course, we do draw our water from the local streams and rivers. And that circles back around to, do we get the funding? Do we have the expertise to give our citizens clean drinking water? Because if lead or other contaminants are leaking into our municipal water, it's been long known that contaminants like that cause neurological harm in developing children. And back to Jenny saying that if we don't have clean water, we won't attract uh, businesses. So it's just a fundamental issue to have clean water, to monitor and be able to document that we do have clean water and take steps and get attention to remediate some of the problems we may have here. And you know, Matt, you're right that a lot of times our leaders um, ignore us, especially if we're poor. But that only happens when we let that happen. That only happens when we don't speak up. And when you're living in a distressed county like most of us here are, there's a lot of stuff to worry about. And you might not be able to worry about the water right away. You might not understand what an important issue it is. And that's a big part of this, right? We're so excited to be able to take these community college students and to have them use the skills they're learning in the classroom to do real science, real reporting, real things about an issue that's really important and to educate them about how important it is and to educate everybody, right? So, so often in this area, you know, we've had people swoop in and they'll study us or, you know, minister to us or mission us. We have a long history of that in Eastern Kentucky, right? Of people coming in from the outside, looking at something that's wrong with us, kind of telling us what to do and then um, often skedaddling. And so we really have been, I think in the last, I don't know, 10, 20 years, there's been a real strong movement. And and Apple Shop's a huge part of this, right? For us to be led from within, for us to identify our problems, for us to figure out what it is that we need and want, for us to lift ourselves up. And so education's the way to do that, you know, and being able to understand things. And so instead of having some team of well-meaning scientists, and I have nothing against all the well-meaning scientists that come in. I hope they'll keep coming in and doing studies. But what this project will do is it will take real data, real important stuff, and we will get it out to the community in a way that they can understand. So one of the things I'll do in my English classroom, for instance, is we talk a lot in the writing classroom about writing voice, right? What's the appropriate writing voice to use? Um, Is it for, and I ask them to really consider their audience. This is one of the first things I teach in the classroom, right? It's figure out who your audience is, what your purpose is, and what the appropriate voice is to use. So I don't really like to talk about incorrect grammar or wrong ways of writing because I just like to think of it as standard English and non-standard English and what's appropriate for your audience, right? What do you want to convince your audience of? 
and who is your audience and what can they understand? So one of the, the things that my students will do is they'll think about who their audience is. They'll think about people that live up at the head of a holler. They'll think about people who may have low educational attainment. They'll think about people who may have high educational attainment. And they'll write a series of different reports. They'll start out by writing some things to encourage volunteers to come out and take part in the actual Big Dipray Ducks, which will be on September 10th, Saturday, September 10th, and will take place at locations all over Eastern Kentucky. And if anybody listening to this program would like to volunteer or get more involved, please contact me, Jenny Williams, at 606-487-3210. or you can find me on Facebook, Jenny Williams, or Pathfinders of Perry County, or you can just call the college and find me or Matt. We'll hook you up with a site for testing and, and get you keyed in. One of the things my students will do is they'll use their writing skills, right, to get people in the community really excited about this, excited about testing our water, excited about going out and doing something for our community, and hopefully excited about honoring the people that died on 9-11 with a national day of service by doing something useful. Then once we get that data in, right, so we'll have a lot of students, a lot of community volunteers who will go out on September 10th, test as many sites as we can using this GIS mapping that we've talked about to make sure the sites are well distributed. We'll get that data back. We'll have students who are entering that into a database. We'll be teaching things like um, scientific method and the importance of double and triple checking and all these skills that we teach in our classrooms. But instead of them just being kind of concepts that you're learning. There'll be real things that we're doing in the community. And once we get all that data entered, we have the data from 10 years ago. We have the data from 2006. And so our basic algebra classes and some other classes um, possibly will look at graphing that data. We'll look at creating some graphics that uh, can help us to see what's changed, right? And they'll also in both, I think in all the math and the science and the English classes that are involved, they'll also be sort of looking at, you know, how are we comparing this? What's changed? Why might it have changed? What could have happened um, how is this happening and then for the English students and hopefully some other humanities students we'll be asking how is this affecting people's lives how is this affecting what's going on economically in our counties how is this affecting this and then our English students will write this up in a way that it, they'll write it up in more than one way right they'll write it one way to send out to the local newspapers we'll write it another way we're looking very closely at the way that we communicate on social media because that's so important now such an important skill to teach we'll look at being able to communicate it like I had one student I was talking to. I said, I want your mama, who's 93, to be able to read this and understand what's going on. So it's a really exciting chance to take these skills that we teach in the classroom that I know good and well a lot of times to students, they just seem pointless, like hoops they're jumping through to get a piece of paper. But they're not. They're really important skills that can really change lives and change our region and move things forward to be a place where we all kind of want to stay and live and be able to drink the water out of the tap. This is also Uh, exciting because this is a chance for Southeast Kentucky to demonstrate this movement from the STEM only education, so science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, a movement from STEM to what they call STEAM, where we incorporate the arts and the humanities. So the cross-curriculum collaboration between math students and English students and so on, we hope to make it a model that other community colleges will adopt. It's at the forefront of education where we can get traditionally sort of separate disciplines to be able to talk to each other and come up with really innovative and creative solutions to problems uh, in ways that we have not seen before. 
service learning. That's a term that gets thrown around a lot in education. Some people are familiar with it and some people are not. So there's community service and we all kind of know what that is, right? That's when you go out and do things for your community. Often it's court ordered. Often it's just people who just want to volunteer and do good things. Service learning is a little bit different in that it's tied to teaching competencies in a course. Service learning means that you're taking a class and you're tying the competencies and the skills that you're teaching in that class directly to service to the community. And so students will do projects, right, that are service to the community. They'll reflect on them. They'll look at the way that what they've learned ties into the material that they're covering in class. So that's what service learning is. And so KCTCS is really strongly supporting a service learning initiative to figure out ways to do this in the colleges more effectively, more efficiently, to be able to measure it. There's a lot of data out there that shows that students who engage in service learning courses stay in school longer, they do better, they make more connections, they um, learn more of those soft skills that we know are really important for employers. And so it's really exciting just to be doing a service learning project that's so important. It's also really exciting to be partnering with Dr. Alice Jones at Eastern Kentucky University. And I know probably Matt, or, Matt nor I need one can say enough good things about Alice. She's amazing and awesome and everyone knows Alice. Um, and she ha has such a strong commitment to this region and to Appalachia to making this place a better place to live. And she has done a number of projects with her geography students uh, and Hazard Community and Technical College. And it's been really fun for our students to work with her students, right? Because a lot of our students they might not think about going on to get a four-year degree. And working with those EKU students, I think, is really inspiring to them. And I think it's good for the EKU students to see that the things that they're studying down there in Richmond, you know, we all say all the time, right, I don't know why they put Eastern Kentucky University in Central Kentucky, but it's not in the mountains. And we, you know, down there in Richmond to see um, what matters. It's also kind of interesting to think about the fact that the Council on Post-Secondary Education has pretty much carved up the state. And they've given each of the big public regional universities an area. And those public universities, the four years, are responsible for coming into those areas and doing community engagement. I think it's been kind of hard for some of them to figure out how to do that, but not for Dr. Jones, not for EKU. They've figured out that partnering with the community colleges is the way to go. I mean, nobody has the reach over the state that KCTCS has. We're everywhere. We're in every community. We're everywhere. And it's really exciting to be able to use our jobs, you know, to go out and, and teach students things that are really going to matter, that really have a potential for change. Um, and that are really meaningful. Right, and we're looking beyond even the Big Dip Redux. This is just sort of one piece of the larger puzzle of the economic transition that Eastern Kentucky is undergoing. We want citizens to get involved, to understand, to come up with creative solutions for how to pivot away from the fossil fuel industry and coal and look at what we do have still beyond coal. So back to waterways one thing we have potentially I, I say this all the time you know coal is going away like it or not it is but we can be in energy leaders again in southeast Kentucky with we have so much potential for hydroelectric energy we have so much potential for wind energy and there's some potential for solar energy and so getting people to be invested in that vision of a new economic paradigm in Southeast Kentucky is one of my critical missions. I've only been here for a few years and I've seen maybe a thousand coal jobs go away. And that's such a huge economic hit on our communities. We cannot be a community based on a single economic product 
And the depression here, the hopelessness that I see, the poverty that I see, is really something that has to be addressed, as Jenny said, from the local level. And education is the key. Once we demonstrate to ourselves that we can do our own science, we can have our own vision, we can be energy leaders again, then that will attract business and industry. It will let our students stay here and contribute to their own community instead of uh, so many of my students have to go away to find a job. This Big Dip Redux is just part of a larger puzzle of solving this economic transition that Southeast Kentucky must face. I appreciate everything that you all are saying very much. I work on a show weekly called The Coal Report, and my father is still working in mining, and I'm from about four generations of coal miners. And knowing that here in Letcher County, we're under 80 coal jobs now in the county, it's a scary thing. However, I want to point out that if you look at it economically, you're very much correct. Even if the downturn in the coal industry comes back around and they have an upswing, it's not going to be the case in central Appalachia. Economically, getting to our coal right now is not of benefit. So we do have to diversify. And I think it's really good to point out that caring about our water doesn't mean that you don't care about coal jobs. Right. Caring about our environment doesn't mean that you're anti-coal. I think that's a really good thing to point out because we've all lived with the results of poor water. And even those of us who may not consider ourselves as living in poverty have to deal with it. People here in Whitesburg, I know, as, as you said, your students wouldn't drink the municipal water. No way will I drink the water here. And that's just a fact. Smelling it, for one. It smells like a swimming pool. I'm not going to drink swimming pool water. And then knowing you shouldn't be getting into the North Fork still. They recommend you don't eat fish out of it. And what are we if, if not, you know, an outdoor community well, and that I, does these things? Yeah. One thing that we have that I tell all of my students is we, we, we are one of the last true pristine wilderness areas east of the Mississippi. It is hard to find a more beautiful environment. Southeast Kentucky is a ecological gem. As much as coal has played a part in the past, and it will still play some part in the future, and of course, coal is in our blood. It will never leave. But the ecological beauty here is almost beyond measure east of the Mississippi. We have elk, we have bear, we have good hunting, good fishing, and so instead of turning us into another Pigeon Forge or Dollywood, we want to get our citizens and the rest of the nation to understand that this is a pristine ecology for the most part. That's part of the economic transition is to bring people to this pristine wilderness to give them access to see what Eastern Kentucky really is and just how wonderful our people are. So there's a term called Appalachian fatalism. And a lot of my students come in with a look 
of Appalachian fatalism. In other words, they don't see a way out, they don't have hope for the region, and Dr. Alice Jones, uh, Jenny, and myself, and many others are working hard to come up with a new vision where we do not sacrifice our pristine ecology, but we capitalize on our pristine ecology. And I think that that's one aspect that the more we drive that home to our citizens, the more hope they'll have, the more engaged they'll be, and our reputation nationwide will, will transform from the stereotype that other people have for us into a model for, you know, rural is great, our ecology is great, come see Southeast Kentucky. I really appreciate that too because it just occurred to me, I don't know why just now, but when we leave, the reason that we come back is the landscape and the people. We have no other reason to come back than those two things. And we have the PSA that uh, the homing device and Appalachian children's heads that (laughs) make them return. And even when we don't come back, where do we say home is? Mm -hmm. It's here. It's not wherever we've been for however many years we've been there. Students who are who are from Chicago or Detroit or and they'll sound like they're from and I'll say, so how did you get to Hazard? And so often, and I, I wish I'd tracked this better and kept numbers on it because it's really been happening a lot more. So often they'll say something like, well. You know, my um, great-grandmother lived here, and we used to come home every weekend. We, You know, Daddy would drive us in, and we just spent a lot of time here. And um, we just, you know, we are starting to have a family, and there aren't really any jobs in Detroit or Chicago or wherever. And we just thought, well, you know, maybe we'd like to live um, back home, back in the mountains. Um, things seem seem so much better here. And, and I hear that story a lot, and I hear it with increasing frequency. Um, and Matt's right. We have to flip the narrative, you know, from coal being the only thing that there is to coal being one of the things that there is. We have to create small-scale entrepreneurial opportunities. We have to create opportunities in agriculture and in tourism and in science and in all sorts of different fields. And I really feel like doing this project is going to give our students a real chance to, to broaden their horizons and see what's out there um, that's possible for them and maybe make them think about new career paths that they hadn't thought about before. I hope so anyway. I'm Kelly Haywood, and you are listening to Mountain Talk Monday on WMMT. Real stories, real news, real people radio, brought to you straight from the heart of central Appalachia. Thanks for listening. A study released on August 9th highlights how 6 million Americans are living with drinking water that's laced with toxic chemicals. Coupled with that report, another study that shows how those chemicals suppress the immune system, especially young children. Glennis Board reports. The Harvard Chan School of Public Health released research that delved into thousands of drinking water samples from across the nation. Researchers looked for certain chemicals called perfluorinated compounds, which are linked to cancer and other health problems. We've been using these chemicals for decades in food wrappers, clothing, and on nonstick pots and pans. Researchers like Laurel Shader noted where concentrations were highest and what possible sources of contamination exist. We found that um, water supplies that were close to um, an industrial production facility, water supplies that were close to a military fire training area, 
uh, airports certified to use these firefighting foams that contain perfluorinated chemicals and wastewater treatment plants, they were all more likely to have detectable levels of perfluorinated chemicals. Contaminated water supplies exist all across the country, California to Florida to New York. Chemicals were also detectable in Kentucky, as well as in Ohio and West Virginia, where a decade ago, one of the first known areas of contamination was discovered. In 2005, it came to light that the chemical company DuPont contaminated water sources in the Ohio Valley with a perfluorinated chemical called PFOA, or C8. A lawsuit established a broad medical study of affected residents, which Shader says paved the way for further science. A lot of what we know about the human health effects of PFOA come from the Ohio River Valley and the what's called the C8, which is another name for PFOA, the C8 study, um, where over 30,000 community members um, were involved in a health study. Um, and the results of that showed that there were six health effects that were probably linked to um, their PFOA exposure. Kidney and testicular cancer, pregnancy-induced hypertension, and thyroid disease are some of the maladies that were linked to the exposure of PFOA. The second Harvard study released today builds on that and on a growing body of health research. The study was led by Philippe Grandjean, who has become one of the foremost experts on health effects of these chemicals. His study looks at long-term effects of perfluorinated chemicals on the immune system of exposed children. He explains it takes years to pass the chemicals out of your system. They, they stay in the body for a very, very long time. And th therefore, it's, of course, also plausible. Well, if they harm the immune system uh, today, they probably also will, you know, uh, several years down the road. And that's exactly what we found. Seven years ago, the Federal Environmental Protection Agency issued a health advisory for anyone with short-term exposure to PFOA. Then in May, a long-term health advisory was announced. Towns across the country in states like Vermont, Alabama, Michigan, and West Virginia are all adjusting water systems now to meet the new suggested threshold. Grandjean says the EPA's advisory is a step in the right direction, but more action is required. Grandjean says individuals should take extra precaution by filtering drinking water with activated carbon filters. For the Ohio Valley Resource, I'm Glennis Board in Wheeling, West Virginia. Ohio Valley Resource is made possible with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and WMMT. listening to Mountain Talk Monday and I'm your host Kelly Haywood and I'm here with Matthew Druin and Jenny Williams from the Kentucky Community and Technical College and we're talking about the Big Dip Redux which is a water testing project that is a redo of a similar project that was conducted in 2006 and so we're talking about the importance of our water and I want to go into the second half by talking about one of the things that I've been hearing a lot of recently and combined with another thing. One being that water is going to be our next marketable resource. And then the other being that if we want to continue to live here, we're going to have to be deciding and making our own jobs as individuals. 
At first, when I heard about this project and how it was connecting students to four-year degrees and how it was involving students in the community, I really didn't see the connection, how testing water was going to do that. You know, I've grown up testing water. But now, as I think about how we're moving and we connect it to the big picture and making our own jobs, you know, when we come forth as a community with real data that we've gathered ourselves, and this is our water we're talking about, you can't ignore that. That's something that is blatant. It's in your face and, and you have to respond in whatever way. So let's talk about what should we be seeing? Is water our next marketable resource? And what kind of jobs might water provide for us? We have an initiative at Southeast to install micro hydroelectric generators in our streams. This is a new technology. Everybody's familiar with large dams and hydroelectric energy on a large scale. There's new technology now that allows for very small installations of hydroelectric generators. And so we have a vision from at Southeast, and we're writing a grant for this to, first of all, the demonstration will be to install a rather medium-sized hydroelectric generator at Portal 31 coal mine tour so, in Matt, Let me just interrupt sure. as a humanities person. I don't know what you're talking about. You're going to have to define what you mean because this is you've talked to me about the, this a little bit before. Yeah. It's so exciting. So define what you mean yeah. by small, medium size. Like, tell more. Sure. Uh, so everybody knows about, say, the Hoover Dam, right? And there are tons and tons and tons of water are falling down. They're, they're running... Turbines. Turbines. It's clean energy, right? It's, it's clean, it's, it's renewable. It's clean, it's renewable. So just the force of the falling water is turning turbines and creating electricity. Electricity, free electricity. Lots. Lots of, of, of electricity, Lots of yes. Since then, the technology has gotten so good that now we have the same concept except the size, say, of a desktop computer. Given that we have so many streams, mm -hmm. given that poverty is such an issue, Given our history of being energy leaders in the world, this seems like a massive opportunity to alleviate poverty, mm -hmm. become energy leaders again by allowing families to have these hydroelectric generators out in a stream. So many people live next to streams and we can, we can scale it down, we can scale it up. Depending on the stream, they don't interfere with the ecology of the stream and so talking about water in general it is a tremendous opportunity for us to use our landscape talking about marketability of water and it feeds into jobs as well sure we could manufacture these we could exactly i mean it's really an exciting possibility i'm down on the north fork and hazard all the time and down behind city there's three dams i think mm. but you know the dam behind city hall i mean water just pours over that and uh, dr alice jones students actually one of her geography classes came last year and they did a river assessment for us and then they came up with different projects that we might consider in hazard and one of those was a mini hydroelectric mm -hmm. installation there at the dam that could you know produce enough power i mean how much power could that produce well, uh, is that an easy to answer question? It's not easy to answer. It, it, it depends on the flow and the size of, of your generator. But the basic premise is that a home could be at least 50% powered by the creek. Okay. And so you take, amazing. You, you take I mean, your utility bill, you cut it in half. This automatically relieves 
a lot of poverty. Sure. It's and it makes us energy leaders again. I think people really want that. And it's here. so exciting that Southeast is, you know, is being a leader in this and is looking at ways to do that in that Portal 31 area too, because I really see Harlan County as an innovation hub, right? There's so much cool stuff going on there in Benham and Lynch and Cumberland and Harlan. Um, I just was in a meeting the other day and we were talking about aquaculture projects and mm-hmm. Southeast used to have an aquaculture program and there was some discussion about, you know, how can we, all that stuff's there, it's ready to go. Right. Um, you know, how can we use water to grow fish for food um, in ways that are healthy and sustainable and not polluting like so many um, of the fish farms that we read about are. It's really exciting that um, Southeast is doing this with these mini hydroelectric. It's one of the most exciting projects I've heard come out of the community colleges in a long time. Yeah, thank you. It's a tremendous opportunity. The technology is there. It's affordable. It wasn't, say, 10 years ago. And But I'd also say that we have mountain ridges that lack wind turbines. The potential for wind power, which is ultra-renewable. So we have to think not just regionally, but, you know, for so long, most half the country, you know, has expected us just to lay down and look the other way while they took the resources out of this region to create cheap power elsewhere. I mean, you know... It, and it hasn't worked, right? I mean, look at Detroit. Look at the steel industry. These things that have depended on coal and that have held up and propped up the coal industry during the day. These single extractive industry economies never work. Single industry economies ne- never. There's never, ever in the whole history of the world ever been an example of that that's worked. And so it just makes so much sense right, we for have, us to diversify yeah. and to think about all the different things that we can do and to use the resources we have, one of which is water. And, sure. and it's renewable. And it's, you know, it keeps falling right out of the sky it will never it'll never go away and so the sooner we get on to this renewable energy initiative we can be leaders in creating new technologies refining technologies bringing industry creating our own jobs employing our students having engineering programs feeding into the four-year institutions the land-grant institutions here and raising the visibility and the reputation of Southeast Kentucky to a level that not, it deserves. not that it deserves that it deserves this is this is one of the finest communities in the country and people do not understand that if they don't visit we need them to visit we need to show that we have as much potential as any other part of the country and we need to just do it and clean water is a really important part of that. You mentioned earlier, Kelly, that the North Fork um, is considered a no-touch body of water, and that makes it real hard to sell that as a recreational destination, you know. I mean, we um, have been working, uh, Pathfinders of Perry County has been working some with Jerry Sevo James of the Explore Kentucky Initiative, and he's an amazing young man. Check out his website if you haven't already, Explore Kentucky Initiative, and look at all the amazing things he's doing, and he's really promoting a lot of different outdoor recreation kinds of things, and he loves paddleboarding. He loves stand-up paddleboarding. That's kind of his thing and kayaking, canoeing, and any kind of water sports. And we've got such vast opportunity for that here, but it's kind of hard when you want to, you know, say, okay, you don't have any like cuts on your legs, do you? Then go ahead and get in the water. And so getting people invested in water as, because like I said, I think we tend to, we'll just drink bottled water and it'll be okay. But it seems like if we can get people invested in the idea of water, like for the projects that Matt's talking about with hydroelectrics, for aquaponics, and in this meeting I was in the other day, we had some really exciting conversations about being able to use MTR sites, about being able to use settling ponds, about being able to look at some of this water as a way to grow that industry, that aquaculture industry, on a small scale. 
and being able to see this as a place for recreation. So these are all good reasons to think about our water. And to, when, once people are invested in those ideas as possibility for economic advancement, once people are interested in that, then I think we'll be more interested in cleaning up the water. And this is a real first step. Do you want to talk about how we're doing the testing, Matt? Like what will happen on September 10th? Okay. For people that want to volunteer to come out with us. Sure. Anybody can come out. And we'll have, again, you can contact me, Jenny Williams, at 606-487-3210. We'll know the sites where you can volunteer once we know who wants to volunteer. So it's really important that you contact us now if you have a group. This would be great for church groups, scout groups, other classes. Contact us. We have an event, the Big Dip R-E-D-U-X on Facebook. You can find that event, get information about it there. And so once we figure out sort of where all the sites will be, which which um, is going to be a bit of a task because we got to figure out who's going to volunteer, we'll We'll show up. We'll do training. We'll test. We'll um, teach you how to test. And Matt's going to talk more about that. Um, we'll show up that morning about 830 at the different staging sites, we're calling them. People will go out in teams of two and three to test these sites. And Matt's going to talk more about what that'll actually look like. And then we'll all come back into our separate staging sites in the afternoon for a celebration. Uh, once we get that data back, we'll be disseminating that out to the public with forums and some different, um, I think in Harlan, there's going to be some different media events that will really get that information out. But on the day itself, what's the testing going to look like? What are we testing for, Matt? On the day itself, people will show up. Will They can be trained on the spot. And on September 10th. Uh, on September 10th, they will be given a kit that will allow them to test for acidity, the pH of the water, the conductivity. It's very easy. We want to make sure that the water is not too high. We want to get a good characteristic of the stream. So they'll be training there. It'll take an hour or so, or maybe less. You'll be given your equipment. You'll know what to do. You'll have your instructions in front of you. Uh, and the goal is to simply do very easy water testing, but the accumulation of that data will allow us to get a better picture of how our watershed has changed from 2006 to 2016. So the uh, training will be quite easy. The sampling process is quite easy. And so, as Jenny said, the more people we can get, the more community involvement we can get, the better, because this represents you know, a 10-year effort in a collaboration between KCTCS, Eastern Kentucky uh, University, and it's critical for our region. So contact Jenny or myself. We uh, really hope that you'll yeah. that you'll get on Pathfinders of Perry County's Facebook page, Headwaters Inc.'s Facebook page, find the Big Dip Redux event, and share those all over Eastern Kentucky with all your friends. You know, I've, I've, just to kind of rise above this a little bit or come away from it or step back from it a little bit, I think it's really significant to do these 9-11 National Days of Service projects. Uh, Martin Luther King Day is another time when we do these National Days of Service, and I think it's so crucial to teach not just our children, but our adults too, right? To teach all of us that it's gonna take all of us to lift this region up. And the more of us that can do service in our communities, the better. And what a great way to memorialize those those people who died on 9-11. You know, it's do get out and do something in your community to make it a better place. And this is a perfect example. It's a one day commitment, September 10th, but we hope that a lot of people will get so engaged that they'll wanna become water testers on a regular basis. So Matt, can you talk a little bit more about that 
just a little bit. I know that we've really lost. There have been a lot of people in eastern Kentucky who have historically tested water for the Kentucky River Water Watch. So there's the Kentucky uh, Watershed Watch in general, and it's okay. it's broken up okay, into different watersheds. So there's the Cumberland River, there's the Kentucky River, Ohio River. Mm-hmm. This is run out of Frankfurt officially. It's a non-political community volunteer project to simply monitor our water ways so it's not about mu- it's just to collect data right and, monitor the waterways. and it's not about municipal water up front so on the national day of service any volunteer that wants to can come out and participate if they want to keep participating then i am the lead volunteer for the upper cumberland river watershed watch and so i will be holding training events for any citizens or students to get them certified officially in all of the ways there's more parameters that we can test for that you'll be trained for officially trained and certified as a watershed watch volunteer participant tester and we hold periodic watershed events where we'll go out and we'll test for things like it's like four times a year right yeah about four times it's a, a year it's a pretty low key investment of your time yeah in a way that's really meaningful. It so does. So we really hope uh, that one of the things this event will do will be to recruit more folks for that because we don't have that many testers. Around the Hazard Perry County, this side of Pine Mountain, we really have lost a lot of the people that tested and don't have very many um, yeah. testers at all. Yeah, so if we, a few years ago, Upper Cumberland River Watershed Watch was huge. I don't know why interest uh, waned, but through the efforts of Dr. Alice Jones, the Watershed Watch... It, in the Upper Cumberland River watershed has really uh, is gaining momentum again. We're waxing. We're done waning. Yes, we're done waning. We are now waxing and we have great data. We had great participants in the past and this is a huge effort on all of our parts to get the community involved again in being invested into understanding being citizen scientists being able to translate the data into culturally relevant things through other modes of expression, not just science. And so I'm happy to train anybody that wants to participate in the Upper Cumberland River Watershed Watch beyond the National Day of Service. And we have about four events a year. It's all streamlined. All you'll have to do is we, You can pick any site you want to sample from. You go out on the day of sample. There's a staging place where I will be to receive your samples, and we carry those samples to uh, our campus in Middlesboro uh, where the uh, uh, water is analyzed, and then this this data is publicly available uh, for any citizen to look at it and understand it and interpret it in their own way. I um, want to point out something to take just to take this opportunity to do that and then come back to your idea of STEAM Mm -hmm. because I've heard STEM a lot Mm -hmm. and myself also being an English major and in the arts and told my whole life living here that if I wanted a job in the arts I would have to leave Mm -hmm. and we're in such an artistic community I mean we're born bred storytellers you know so thinking all these children but anyway When we lived in Knott County, we got our water from a pipe that ran out of what's called a coal bank. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was an old coal mine, and it's on Wolfpen. A lot of people in that community fill jugs up from that pipe that comes out. 
my daughter got really, really sick, my two-year-old at the time, and we couldn't figure out why. She had upper GI testing, a lot of things. I finally got my father to test the water, and the water coming out of that coal bank stream had E. coli in it. Yes. It could have come from an animal dying inside there somewhere or, you know, anything. And I wonder, you know, she was so little, it really affected her, whereas it may have just been affecting other people in more minor ways. We reported that to the health department, and they tacked up a piece of eight and a half by 11 paper on a tree beside the place just of the results of the testing, nothing else. And the first time it rained, it was gone and people still get their water there. As far as I know, that pipe has never been removed. I've taken pictures of it. It's just not appropriate. And I'm wondering, it's one thing to have all this information. It's another thing, like you said, to communicate it with the public in a way that makes them want to take action or makes them understand that action is required. I feel for anyone who is still using that. And that's another reason why you should get certified to test. You can test your own water and see if it's appropriate to drink. But anyway, so let's talk about what role you think the arts might play in communicating this data to the community. Well, like you said, Kelly, we're a nation of story. We're a community of storytellers, you know, and the arts, that's how we communicate. So think about that. Um, situation that you just talked about. So they tacked up a sheet of paper with test results that probably didn't mean anything to a lot of people. You know, what if there had been a different way? What if we'd been able to use the arts? What if we'd been able to tap into the school children in that area whose families were getting their water from that? What if we'd been able to do a series of small skits? What if we'd been able to do, you know, uh, drawings? What if we'd been able to do murals? There are so many ways to use the arts to communicate things to people and that's just um, a, a little example and maybe an example that's not not that feasible you know maybe it wouldn't be feasible to paint a big mural about E. coli I'm just imagining what that would look like and it's kind of fun, <laughs> but, but um, you know being able to tell stories in a way that engage people is really important you know being able to get information out to people in a way that they can understand first of all and that makes them care. And the arts is how we do that. I mean, that's how we do it. And the arts, I think a lot of times when we think about the arts or we think about arts economy, um, or we think about creative economies, we think about the traditional things, right? We think about painting, we think about storytelling, we think about writing novels, we think about doing theater, but the arts are so much more broad than that. And they really are, are everywhere or they should be everywhere, right? We really need to be design minded in the way that we think about projects. We really need to include people who are artists who may think more creatively about things at every level of decision making, whether that's in public policy and science and education everywhere. So I'm really pleased. Like, we didn't make up this term STEAM. It's a term that's really gaining some impetus in the educational world. So instead of having STEM buses, for instance, one of our former VISTA workers, Karen Connect, who worked with Pathfinders, is now down Tennessee in the Knoxville area, and they have a STEAM bus that goes out and um, uses arts. You know, when I, I think about, this is probably a horrible example, but, you know, I think about when I, the, I learn better if I can see things, right? If I can, um, and that's art, you know, that's, um, that's what the arts mean. Well, and that's what we want to engage. We want to engage all manner of creativity. I like to say that, you know, science tells us what we can do, 
but we need the arts and humanities to tell us and help us decide if we should do it. So the collaboration between traditional scientists and arts and humanities has been lacking and it's a tremendous opportunity to better refine what we call a civilization, how we live, uh, how we make collective decisions. The STEM to STEAM paradigm, I think if we can get this going in, in our communities, we will become a national model. We can, we're on the ground floor of the STEM to STEAM transition and can't think of a better place to do that because we do have so much creativity with the arts and we have some very strong scientists here. And, you know, I have to admit, I even started out in college as a science, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, as an English major. So I can see, you know, using this data to write poetry, write music, do plays, and get the science people to understand how the arts can move people who are not scientists to be interested in the science aspects of their communities and get involved in ways that they might not have thought of before. So there's, there's this crosstalk between the science and the humanities and the STEM to STEAM that I think is just so critical. And that's part of this Big Dip Redux is to do a, a cross-curriculum activities where scientists and artists are actually sitting down together and figuring out, okay, how do we interpret this data, not only in the science, not only in the arts, but how, how do we meld the two together so that we come up with something brand new that is exciting and sets an example uh, state and nationally. This is the first time I've heard of STEAM. I'm really excited and I can't help but get the picture that STEM is what gives us the information that holds us up like a stem of a flower, but STEAM is what gives us the forward momentum. Sure. That's and that's great. the difference, the translation of that. Absolutely. Um, in a way all of really us nice. can understand. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to get some final comments, maybe again the information on how to become involved. Sure. Um, this is a perfect example. The September 10th Big Dip Redux is a perfect time for church groups, community groups, neighborhood groups, classes, whether that's high school, elementary school, or college, um, to um, community groups, civic groups, to get involved. You can contact me, Jenny Williams, at 606-487-3210. You can find Pathfinders of Perry County on Facebook. You can look for the Big Dip Redux Facebook event to get information. Contact us if you want to get involved. We can talk about setting up a staging area in your community if there's enough interest. Certainly we'll have staging areas coming out of Cumberland, yes. Hazard, and possibly Whitesburg as well. That's our plan right now is to sort of use those three communities as our staging areas, but we can certainly add staging areas to those if anybody's interested. If you're a teacher and you want to make this part of your curriculum, we have sample assignments that you can use for math, for biology, for English, for humanities classes we can scale those up for upper level education we can scale those down for elementary and high school education so we're really happy to work with you in a way to integrate this into your classroom um, and we're really excited about this chance to collaborate um, to use our students and our classes and our institutions of higher learning and our community groups like Pathfinders and Headwaters to come together to make a difference in our community. I want to thank you for listening to this edition of Mountain Talk Monday, and I want to thank our guests, Matthew Druin and Jenny Williams. Be on the lookout for the Big Dip Redux on Facebook. Join the event. 
and plan to be there, plan to give back to our communities. So you're listening to WMMT 88.7. I've been your host, Kelly Haywood, and thank you for listening. Ever have a question that just nags at your brain? Why is there a siren that goes off in Whitesburg every day at 4.30? Is the city water in my area safe to drink straight from the tap? How do people in my town really feel about gun violence? Can I make money farming and still live in the mountains? You wish there was someone to ask, or that you'd happen upon the answer in social media or the news. Well, now you don't have to wait for serendipity. WMMT's Public Affairs Newsroom is offering a way for your questions to become the topics that we report on. It's called Central Appalachia Wonders, C-A-W. Just go to our website at www.mmt.org C-A-W. Then submit your question, and you might well hear the answer right here on WMMT. Dedicated to real stories, real news, and real people radio. This is WMMT. We want to know what you're wondering, so call at us today. WMMT.org slash C-A-W.